This is Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Meridian Energy Group spearheading the Davis Refinery as well as the Walton Refinery. Is that the second uh, refinery in Texas? The Walton Refinery in Winkler County? I got I got to be honest, I'm mixing my W's up here because I didn't write it down. Help me out, Lance. Where are we at with the refinery? Sorry to jump right into it right away. Yeah, no, no worries. Thanks for having me on. I yeah. appreciate the, uh, the both the topic and your time. Um, so Davis Refinery, North Dakota, Walton Station in, in West Texas, and uh, their Walton. development in, in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. So, all right. So there's a Kermit, Texas as well, too, right? That's the Walton Refinery? That is. So Kermit, Texas is um, inside Winkler, Winkler County. And uh, so, you know, when we refer to either Winkler County or we refer to Kermit, it's, we're, we're talking about the same place. Okay, that's what I figured. That's what I thought. I wanted to make sure I had my ducks in a row. So I'm going to reset here real quick for the people listening. We're talking with Lance Midlin from Meridian Energy Group, who is spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken in North Dakota, right outside of Belfield, North Dakota. And then we've got also the Walton Refinery outside of Kermit, Texas, in Winkler County. And then also it sounds like one to be in Oklahoma as well. But we won't get too much into that. I just wanted to drop the Texas one because I know you guys have been working on it for a few years because I wanted to set the table a little bit about the amount of work that has gone in to this ESG movement on your be- on your company's behalf. Um, I know I've been covering it personally for over five years. And from the last, you know, three, four, at least five years, this has been a pretty serious topic within your guys' evolving business plan. Is that a fair statement to say? Yeah, it's a fair statement to say. It's, a, it's an evolving business plan for the entire industry. Um, less so... Our stance is that it's less so for Meridian than it is probably for existing refiners, existing producers. Um, the uh, the ESG governance that, that you see coming from Equator Principles uh, is not a distraction or, distra- or, or uh, a different path than what Meridian was founded on. So it's an easy it's an easy transformation for for Meridian. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say, too, that, you know, by evolving, it's more of, I guess, maybe the word dynamic might be a little bit more appropriate because I'm not trying to put a negative connotation. I'm trying to, I guess, put in some context because when you take a look at the major operators, you know, the big three or big four, even the big dozen, they're rewriting their ESG uh, reports within their business or their shareholder reports and they're doubling and tripling in size over the last couple of years. You guys have been doing it from day one. And by by being dynamic, it's just that you guys are just adding on. It's not even so much rewriting as much as adding on, you know, talking with some of the different, you know, uh, contractors that you guys are working with, some of the different partners. It's amazing to understand the ESG movement, how it can go into uh, just a you know a refinery is something as simple as you, the, the the bend of a pipe, for example, some things like that. So I, I find it very exciting. So help us understand, I guess, where you guys started with this ESG movement so long ago, even before the ESG term was even there, because you guys did set out from day one, and you can go back on the crude life and listen. You guys set out to have the cleanest refinery on the planet. So talk to me a little bit about the dedication in the, in, in the beginning to this uh, uh, just clean energy and what eventually became, I guess, the ESG 
term. Right. So ESG is is you know a set of a set of governing principles. So everyone knows that ESG. By this point in time, you're probably familiar with the uh, initialism, meaning environmental, social, and corporate governance. So a set of governance standards for your company. Well, Meridian were the first full conversion refinery to ever be permitted as a synthetic miner source. Uh, so, you know, even at the conception or uh, even at the uh, the initial permit application, we, we were able to show the industry that you can uh, produce diesel, gasoline, other refined products without making a major emissions footprint. And so that was the first. So that was the DNA of our ESG coming forth in our initial permit. And then the way that we've developed the project with sustainability reviews, uh, environmental impact reviews, talking to our neighbors, being uh, talking to the neighbors even in a social stance, saying, okay, well, what are some of the issues that you would be concerned with? I'll, I'll give you one example that's outside of an emissions profile, uh, illumination. Uh, there was concern that, you know, a big facility like a refinery would, would produce too much light uh, and be a distraction. It would be a, a visual uh, a, a visual nuisance for um, the city of Belfield. So we designed into our engineering standards, engineering standards, downward facing LEDs that have limited uh, illumination uh, so that it's not a, a visual nuisance. Uh, you know, part of ESG is not just what the environmental impacts are, but it's the S of the ESG as well. Social, what are the social impacts? And, and we can go into, uh, we can go far down that road. And, and I'd like to introduce and talk about Meridian's brand green. So packaging up our ESG product, our ESG uh, corporate governance is, it's not so much rewriting and it's not so much adding on. It's really just unveiling. So we put our environmental social management plan on our website uh, sometime last year. And this was a document um, that describes how we manage our environmental and social governance, corporate governance practices. Our ESMP, the Environmental and Social Management Plan, we decided to make that public um, because a lot of our contractors, partners, they started asking, okay, well, you guys have done well with this. Um, you know, do you mind sharing some of those documents with us? So we did. We, we just made them public. Um, our, our ESG charter, our, our minutes of meeting from our ESG committee, uh, all of it's public, and you can actually just go on our website, click on the ESG tab, and, and download it all and, and view it all. And I encourage others to, you know, if you don't have a mature environmental and social management plan, use ours as a template. Uh, I'm, I, we're perfectly fine with just taking ours and putting your name on it. Uh, we think we have a pretty good program, and, and we encourage others to use it as well. Wanted to ask you about the receptivity when it comes to the ESG movement. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to just go, you know, outside of, you know, baseball a little bit, inside baseball, I guess, and, and talk about some off-the-record conversations that I've had over the years that are now basically on the record and, and, and um, across headlines and that sort of thing. Number one is the investment side. Uh, I know that being an early adapter sometimes to, you know, these new sort of ideologies is sometimes becomes a very difficult to, you know, find those early, other early adapters that can see the forest from the trees, so to speak. And then the other one is, and I'm glad you brought up the social side of thing, which is there is a social component. And 
I don't know how much you guys have disclosed about, you know, some of the things happening within, but I know I've had a lot of conversations about trees with your folks at Meridian and working with some of the, the different officials and just trying to get some of the due diligence done. So I don't want to disclose much on what you guys have going on. I just wanted to highlight that you guys have been talking about that social side for four, five, six years too, with me anyways, off the record, because uh, we've used part of that as our industrial forest, helping those guys out. So, you know, we feel it's very important on like the tree standpoint. And that's, that's just one example of that social part of the ESG, the environmental social governance side. So um, how are you finding the receptivity of things, being an early adapter? I mean, you guys are out there looking for investors, you know, on a daily basis because you work in oil and gas. But on the flip side, you have to be conscious of that social side of things too. So, you know, every which way you turn, someone's going to be commenting. (laughs) Sorry. Just curious about receptivity. I'm not sure if that question came out or not. Yeah, no, you're right to bring it up. So I think think the main... The main takeaway that I took from that that question was about receptivity and in, in specifically in the downstream industry. So, you know, our perception is that um, is that the downstream industry, specifically out of oil and gas upstream and midstream, has not been receptive to the uh, to the insistence of the changing economies and the changing uh, uh, global economies that that we take a more environmental and social proactive approach. I don't think that the downstream industry has been receptive to that at all. I, I tell you um, what, I agree it, with you, by the way. I do agree with you uh, from our firsthand knowledge as well and experience. So I just, I wanted to validate what you're saying. So continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but just go No, ahead. no, that's fine. Um, and it's surprising to me because we, we've seen it coming. The downstream industry should have seen this coming for for many, many years because it didn't start in downstream. It started in upstream. A lot of major capital projects, deep water offshore projects, were, uh, were found themselves with new regulations, new environmental uh, environmental and social regulations that the midstream and downstream sectors didn't have because of a lack of new money coming into it, um, lack of new major projects, new major midstream projects, new major downstream projects. Upshore, I'm sorry, upstream, specifically offshore, Deep water developments were the first first major capital projects to see the the push for a more mindful ESG approach. Um, that transitioned into midstream as capitals began to be deployed into new developments. The Dakota Pipeline, Gobble, for example, Dakota Access Pipeline. That was uh, a, that should have been a massive indicator to the entire industry that new major capital projects, new money coming into new developments, has to be thoughtful from an environmental and social perspective. Now you're seeing it downstream and, uh, you know, I would change the word receptive to reactive as new requirements or new expectations are placed. The industry by necessity has to be reactive to them, but being reactive, being receptive, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same as being proactive and setting the standard. And that's what at Meridian we have tried to do from day one is set a new standard. Um, we, we package the entirety of our ESG portfolio into um, a new business unit called Brand Green, B-R-A-N-D, Green. We, uh, we tossed around, you know, several different naming ideas, and we thought, well, what do we want to be known for? Do we want to be known as a refining company, someone who produces refined products? 
or do we want our brand to be that whatever it is we do, we do it with the consciousness set towards environmental and social development. And so Brand Green is a portfolio of all of our ESG activities, documents, philosophies, specification, engineering standards, construction standards, financial standards. And we require that each contractor and partner we do business with, whether it be someone supplying uh, still from a mill or someone supplying equity from invest from an institutional investment fund for taking our brand green expectations. And that means uh, full due diligence on, on sources of uses, where capital comes from, where materials come from, how labor laws are enforced in the countries of origin, how, um, uh, how environmentally and social, what the uh, maturity of their own environmental and social governance standards are. We wrap that all into brand green, and that's our way of being less reactive and, and more proactive into the ESG movement. You get a, a second for a couple examples and then a question that uh, I'd like to just know your opinion on because it's been driving me wild, but driving me nuts lately. Let's do it. But I think you got yeah, a lot, lot, a lot of insight into this because I say I, I've been talking to your CEO for five, six years, and and I've I've heard firsthand, like many of our listeners have, what the frustrations have been. And you don't even have to read between the line the last couple of years. <laughs> He's just flat out saying what they are. So. Uh, when I take a look at my experience, six years ago in Colorado, I started talking with people or notice, I'm, excuse me, I started noticing when I was talking with people in the hotel breakfast bars in Fort Collins, Greeley, and Denver, that the people who worked in the oil and gas industry would look over their shoulders before they said they worked in the oil and gas industry. This was six years ago. Okay, so I started talking about this six years ago. Three years ago, I'm in Casper, Wyoming, and it was at the Wildcatters golf event, and they it's where they rent out the entire country club, and it's only oil and gas people there. There's nobody else there. The, the members can't even go there that day, right? So we're, we're in the lounge at lunch, and these four or five millennial-aged, and I'm not picking on millennials, this that they were all under 30, they, they were serving, and it was four women and one guy. And there must have been, you know, 75 people in this, in this lounge for lunch. And I bet each server made three to 500 bucks, okay? Because first of all, it's oil and gas, so they tip well. And secondly, it's oil and gas, so they, they, they like to have a couple martinis at lunch because it's a golf <laughs> event. So anyway, not, and I stayed around because I wasn't golfing. I had some other activities uh, with, the, with the Johnny Green and, and the whole uh, environmental uh, speaking that I do. And so I was I, probably 20 minutes I hung out in the lounge afterwards. But it was enough time to listen to the employees talk about uh, the people who just left. And they said, who was that? And the other one said, oh, some oil and gas people. And for the next 10 minutes, I heard them bash the oil and gas industry. And not because they didn't like the oil and gas industry, but because it was the thing to do. It was, the, it was what you do. And so to be cool, that's what they did. Not even registering, they just made several hundred bucks each in an hour, okay? So then, flash forward to today, when I, when I go to like down into the, the Fort Collins area and go down into Austin, Texas and Fargo, North Dakota, there's people that flat out say on the dating apps, swipe left if you work in oil and gas. 
So, I mean, that, that's where we're at. So what I'm trying to say is that I truly believe we've entered into a place where there is some social regulations happening, not governmental regulations. And I believe the oil and gas industry still believes they're fighting uh, government regulations when they're not. It's a social regulation that is happening, and it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different, I mean, it is like PR beyond PR. And I think you might know what I'm talking about a little bit, but maybe not. Maybe I'm just a crazy guy still talking. I don't know. What do you think? No, I think you're right. Um, so I, I guess, you know, a couple of things. On millennials, I would state reluctantly probably that some of the brightest people I've ever worked with, uh, especially in recent years, have been from this millennial generation, handicapped only by their lack of experience. Bright, bright, bright young men and women who are going to make a, uh, a big difference in our future, you know, only lacking the experience to uh, to run the business. So, you know, I, I'm, we're fortunate that we keep ingesting into our companies these these younger, brighter minds, but um, it, it, is a, it is a schooling event that you have to watch. So, you know, I also don't get too, I don't get too worked up over virtue signaling. It, it's easy to sit uh, in a room and, and kind of virtue signal about what's wrong with the world, but in the reality, you have to, you have to come up with real solutions. It's easy to sit by and say, okay, well, we're going to power our cars with wind energy, and we're going to uh, only use renewable uh, energy sources, and that's fine. Um, and hopefully one day, uh, you know, I don't think we know how to yet, but hopefully one day we can do things like this, but it's a long transition period. We don't go from the uh, vehicles that we use to transport ourselves with today to uh, completely renewable uh, fuel source vehicles uh, tomorrow. So there's a long transition period, and even uh, even EVs, electrical vehicles, use they they have a significant carbon footprint. Um, so it's we haven't found the solution yet. I'm glad that we want to as a as a, a human race, um, but there has to be a transition put in place, and some of the transition is what you're seeing now. Also, I think the and that's the ESG, the the uh, the, the idea that we can do what we're doing better. Um, the roadmap to do this. Funny enough, uh, we we saw it come into life when we started putting together our ESG programs and say, okay, well, how can we document some of the work that we've done? How can we explain to others what we've done? And I saw a pattern start to emerge, and it reminded me of the health and safety uh, movements of, I'd say, predominantly about 20 years ago, uh, probably starting you know much before that, but it really kicked off around. I'd say in the mid '90s to early 2000s. So you saw, you know, HSC or HSSE, or you know, every company has a little bit of a different initialism for it. You saw HSC start to take a real front seat, you know, a real driver's seat in the industry, and a lot of people had the same reaction then to HSC as they do to ESG now. They would say, okay, well. Why do we have to have all of these safety measures in place? You know, we've been doing it this way for for 30 years or 100 years or 50 years. Why do we have to have all these job safety analyses? Why do we have to have uh, extra permitting for critical lifts? Why do we have to have all these things, hot work permits, cold work permits? And now, um, with the industry significantly safer, physically safer, than it was 20 years ago. We just take it for granted. It's just the way it is. Everyone coming in 
uh, to the industry knows that, okay, if you're going to do something, you have to do it safely. I see the same pattern. I see the same roadmap that we took HSC. I see that now for ESG as well. Okay, initially it seems like an, an unfair burden placed upon operating companies to, to justify their environmental and social footprints. And you say, well, why do we have to do that? We've been doing it this way for, you know, decades or, or longer. Uh, but you'll see that transition. You'll see people coming comfortable with the fact and as they educate themselves and in their industry to say, okay, well, actually we can do things a bit better and it's not that taxing. We can have a, uh, a more productive impact on our on our society, the social side and the environmental side. Uh, it's not overnight in the same way that we don't transition to completely renewable fuels overnight. We shouldn't expect uh, we shouldn't expect that we're going to transition to a mature ESG industry overnight as well. But I do think that we are starting to make the right steps, even if it hasn't been completely receptive. We are starting to make the right steps, and I, I feel that Meridian has had some play in leading leading by example there. Well, I think you guys have adopted a philosophy and stuck with it, and had some pretty good evidence to show, including court cases to show, that you've not only adopted it, but you've actually put it out into, you know, practice type of a thing. So talk to me about the sustainability side. How are you guys going beyond the planet of platitudes and into actual reality with this type of, you know, philosophy of ESG, sustainability, et cetera? Well, part of it is brand green. So it's, it's um, if you read the Equator Principles by the Equator, you know, adopted by the Equator Principle of Financial Industries, the EPFIs, um, it's a set of principles that set expectations for new capital being deployed into into the energy market. So that is, that's a grouping of words on paper. Uh, for Meridian, we took that and we adopted it into our environmental and social management plan, but through our brand green uh, ESG portfolio, we set those expectations into the real world by by imposing them upon our contractors. And imposing them is a pretty hard word, a harsh word. It sounds more like a sentence than a uh, than a gift. Uh, but brand green is our is our transformation from the expectation to the reality. If you want to do business with Meridian, you must meet these environmental and social expectations. It's an it's an auditing. It's a due diligence process. We want to make sure that the partners that we have are doing the right thing as well and that they're maturing their ESG portfolio. And a lot of this, uh, you know, when we first announced this, um, we had a, we had a mixture of feedback. Uh, some, some of our more mature contractors had already developed their own ESG programs. Uh, take McDermott, for example. They've got a mature ESG program. Uh, some, of the, some of our other contractors and partners hadn't matured to that point yet. And the initial thought was that they would be somewhat, uh, somewhat opposed to that transformation. But we have not dealt with a single contractor or partner yet who has not met it with positive, uh, a positive reception. And that either they are looking forward to developing that program uh, on their own, or they've asked us for help. Uh, and they've asked us to help them develop that program. But that's taking it from from conception into actual reality where you meet with the contractors and say, if you are going to supply a product component of service for these refineries, these are the expectations that we want you to meet. And that's taking it into the real world. Not only do I believe there's a, um, a different kind of regulation 
uh, that needs to be tackled. I, I believe that there's a long-term play and a, sh- and a short-term play to this whole ESG ref- uh, movement, especially when you're talking about refineries. I mean, that's more, you guys are early adapter and, you know, taking on the, the, the big, the, the big kahuna, so to speak in the oil and gas world. Um, have you guys looked at this from a long-term and, and a short-term play at all? Well, I, I think, I think the long-term and the short-term, uh, I don't see a massive amount of, I don't see a big gap between the two. Um, in the downstream refining, specifically refining, uh, real refining industry, I think it's fair to say that the end is near uh, or that the end is here for a lot of the operating standards and the operating conditions that we currently have. It's not sustainable. Um, and it's not sustainable because change has been shown uh, to exist. It's only sustainable when there's no other options. Uh, but there are other options. Now, you can refine crude oil with a massively reduced environmental footprint, a massively reduced carbon footprint. So we've shown that you can do this. Once that's out there and once it's shown, uh, once it's fully permitted and, and passed through the multiple Supreme Court, um, Supreme Court rulings, as we've done, you can say, okay, well, the change is here, which means why isn't the rest, why haven't the rest of the industry changed? So it's a matter of time. Um, and I think that's the short term and the long term. The long term reality is both played up in one. Yeah. I, for me, I look at the short term as the education period, as, as there needs to be a little bit more of an education period because I've, I still see a little bit of a disconnect out there. And, when you mentioned earlier about the, the public health uh, uh, comparison, and I wrote that down because I've been saying for a number of years, probably three, four years at least, that to me it had that kind of that uh, public health smoking ban template to it. And that was a very difficult thing to bring up because there's a lot of trigger words in there. And I'm just trying to say, no, template, just keep keep an eye on the template and how they're using public health and a number of different things to kind of create a social um, control over it, so to speak. And so when you brought up the public health analogy, um, can I ask you a little bit more, just to elaborate on that a little bit now that, you know, you've kind of heard my framed question, if you will. <laughs> I didn't mean to frame it, but I wanted to give you kind of my overview of that, of, of what, how I interpreted when you brought up the public health thing. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair thing to, it, it's a fair topic to indulge in. So for, for my comparison, it was more of uh, private sector health and the, the health and safety industry. So um, if you look at where we are now, companies like IS Network um, are a known metric provider. So you can, you can, if you want to do business, let's say you're going to let a billion dollars worth of contracts and you want to know, okay, well, which one of these con- which one of these contractors that provide a similar service has the best safety record? These are all metrics that are are submitted to ISNet World, and there's there's a you know ISNet World is not a standalone provider of this information, but it's a very common one. Um, it has a significant amount of the market share, so a lot of owner operators use ISNet World. Um, we would look at that and we would say, okay, well, I've got two providers that provide the same service. One has a uh, one has an undesirable safety record on site. One has a more desirable safety record on site. So 
this is something that has taken around 20 plus years to evolve to where it's it's a status quo now. If you want to be if you want to participate in the oil and gas industry, you probably have to have a membership to that metric provider. You probably have to have a very good safety record, and you probably have to um, have a mature health and safety environmental program. So that's taken you know 20 plus years to to enact. Now, what was just released? Um, I think it was in the New York Times about a week ago, is that ISNet World, the provider of health and safety metrics, is now and now uh, positioning themselves to be a provider of ESG metrics as well. So what you'll see over the next few years, and, and hopefully not too much longer than that, is you'll see companies start to submit their ESG ratings. There's a number of companies that will come in and provide either solicited or unsolicited ESG ratings. And you'll see these compiled into metrics provided by SNet World, so where companies like Meridian or Exxon or Marathon or Shell, if you want to do business with these companies, you have to have this rating, which means you are forced to then take this seriously and and, and take your environmental and social governance program seriously. So we, we feel like we're quite a bit ahead of the curve, but the curve is, it, it, the industry is catching up. It's been reactive, but it is catching up, especially when you have when you have large information providers like ISNet World providing rating systems for companies in the ESG programs, uh, that's going to catch on um, very, very quickly. That's amazing. I pontificated two years ago when I started understanding the severity of the ESG movement. And uh, I said, boy, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an ESG score attached at the end of the day. And that's what you're talking about, that there's 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 more reality behind that than not than fiction at this point. So um, you well, mentioned. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Uh, it, it, it's a it's an active thing. Um, the difference between solicited and unsolicited is if you are, let's say, you're a private company pre IPO, um, you would request an ESG rating. So it's a solicited request. Um, you know, there's a few companies that do this. Few leading companies that do it. And you can request them to come in, do a do an audit, do some due diligence on your how you're operating your your firm, and they'll provide you with a solicited rating. If um, you are a public company, it's an unsolicited. It's it's not something you have to ask for. It's something they're going to do whether you want them to or not. That's the right approach. Um, so this is reality. These things exist now. Um, so it's definitely maturing at a at a quick pace. And and I think one of the things that's going to help the industry, you know, kind of develop this roadmap is that. We have done it before in very similar, uh, very similar causes, specifically health and safety. You mentioned earlier that you've got the kind of your version of it, uh, this, uh, of the ESG, the Go Green at your website available to the public. Is that, talk to me a little bit more about that. I just wrote it down quick in the notes, but I, I, are you guys, is this a consulting business? Is this something people can download and look at for free? Talk to me about what, what, what this is. Oh, it's, it's not a consulting business. Um, it's uh, and you can download it and look at it for free. Um, so when we when we sat down to draft out the principles by which we had already been operating, um, we drafted that into our environmental and social management plan. Um, and it's it's not a it's not a one hundred page document, um, and it's not proprietary. It's a, a document that we wrote, and we and we then made it public. Um, for for the benefit of others. So if you don't have an environmental and social management plan, 
uh, you're welcome to use ours. Uh, we think it benefits everybody. Now, that is step one. The Environmental and Social Management Plan is a governing document over, at, you know, sort of at a GP level, at a parent level. We also have what we call the PESMAP, uh, Project Development and Project Specific Environmental and Social Management Plan. This is a, now this is a big document. It is proprietary. Um, it has confidential information in it. And it's, uh, I think the last one I looked at was around 180 pages. So at a project-specific level, we have our projects, project development, uh, environmental and social management plan. And this is a, a very large document that talks very specifically um, about the actual, the actual size, water tables, uh, social conditions, et cetera. Um, that one is not public because it has proprietary information and confidential information in it about how refined products are transported, the carbon footprint of transportation, uh, how we manage that, how we lessen the impact of such things. Um, but the environmental and social management plan, along with the meeting of our minutes, we have ESG committee meetings every quarter. Uh, we make all of that public because we think, number one, uh, it helps others. Uh, and also, we're, we're okay with people looking at this and saying, okay, well, Meridian, you should consider uh, going further in, in this topic. Uh, we, we'll take that feedback, and if it's appropriate, we'll do it. Kind of wrapping up here, a little bit of a conclusion. Um, just kind of what you guys have, you know, on your on your short term hopper. What you guys are looking for out of uh, anybody listening, if you're looking for uh, customers for that new refinery or investors at, at the Walton Refinery, would just take an opportunity to give yourself a plug. I appreciate you guys coming on and sharing the ESG knowledge and everything. So. Well, no, I appreciate that, and I always, I always appreciate speaking with you, Jason, and your audience. Um, you know, Meridian's a development stage firm, so uh, we are a private company and always looking for new partnerships, whether it be equity or or um, or, or in other in other matters. For for the Davis Refinery, we are a 100% subscribed refinery, meaning the refined product is 100% um, uh, under term sheet. The uh, Walton Station Refinery. And El Cajoma refiner is still in development stage, so uh, we, you know, we're still putting that together. Um, but I, I think everything is going our way in 2021 is going to be, uh, despite all political aspects, going to be a, a very bright year for the industry.